comments about your feelings on the game. Well, naturally, I feel bad about losing a ball game like that. There's, there's no way you should lose that ball game. And, but uh, just doesn't make sense. What's your opinion of King's performance? What's my opinion of King's performance? What the f do you think is my opinion of it? I think it was put that in. I don't opinion of his performance. He beat us with three home runs. What the f can you mean? What is my opinion of his performance? How can you ask me a question like that? What is my opinion of his of, of his performance? He hit three home runs. Off to lose a game, and you ask me my opinion of this performance. I mean, that's a tough question to ask me, isn't it? What is my opinion of his performance? Yes, it is. I. Ask it, and you gave me an answer. Well, I didn't give you a good answer because I'm mad, but I mean, oh, that's, wasn't a good question. that's a tough question to ask me right now. What is my opinion of his performance? I mean, you want me to tell you what my opinion of his performance is? You just did. That's right. Guy hits three home runs against us. Once again, a standing ovation for Henry Aaron. So the confrontation for the second time. Aaron walked in the second inning. He means the tying run at the plate now, but we'll see what Downing does. Alice the belt delivers, and he's low, ball one. And that just adds to the pressure. The crowd booing. Downing has to ignore the sound effect and stay a professional and pitch his game. One ball and no strike. Aaron waiting, the outfield deep and straight away. Fastball is a high drive into deep left center field. Buckner goes back to the fence. It is gone. A model of consistency and durability throughout his 23-year Major League career, Don Sutton won 324 games and struck out 3,574 batters while never missing his turn in the pitching rotation for the Dodgers, Astros, Brewers, Athletics, and Angels. A four-time All-Star, he reached double figures in wins in 21 of his 23 seasons and struck out over 100 batters in each of his first 21 campaigns. He pitched in four World Series and posted five career one-hit games. He served as a longtime broadcaster with the Braves after his playing career was over. Sutton was elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1998. Hello, my name is John Royce Lynch, founder and CEO of PCMA Private Client. As a former professional surfer and native of Southern California, I have always enjoyed Wahoo's fish tacos. When the pandemic hit, the response by Wahoo's was unparalleled, creating the California Love Drop by supporting frontline workers and those in need. On behalf of the PCMA Private Client community and our amazing team, it is an honor to be able to support this noble effort. To lend a hand and to learn more, please visit CaliforniaLoveDrop.com. Org. Well, gentlemen, I, I'm going to just open it up and then I just want to have a conversation. I, you know, you all obviously knew Tommy a whole lot better than I did. And certainly I'd love to touch a little bit on Don Sutton today as well. And then obviously with the passing of Hank Aaron just today, I thought it'd be nice if we spent a couple minutes talking about him as well at some point. Uh, the agenda is yours, but I'm just going to do the introduction. Um, today on a special episode of the From the Heart podcast, I'm just honored to have three individuals who I've known for, in some cases, a little bit of time, in some cases, a little bit longer. I, I actually met Fred Clare earlier this year as he, or well, actually earlier in 2020, 
as he was kind enough to come on and be a, a guest on the podcast, right as the Dodgers were going into the World Series, which we all know they won. We're all representing that. Uh, Charlie Huff, uh, as you also know, if you followed the podcast, was an episode was a guest on the on an episode right around the World Series as well. And I'll never forget uh, the signature question I ask at the end of every podcast is, "What's in your heart?" And uh, Charlie's response was a World Series championship. Well, Charlie, you got your heart's desire there, and so did we. So we'll talk about that, I'm sure, a little bit today. And Charlie was also a pitching coach for the Fullerton Flyers back in 2006, a team that I had an opportunity to run for three seasons. Pete Arbogast is the voice of USC Trojan football on the radio. has been doing that for over uh, a couple of decades, at least more than 20 years. I know that. He also was a PA voice for the Los Angeles Dodgers. You may wonder why the voice of USC football is with us today. He worked for the Dodgers, has some great Tommy stories as well. I just thought when, when Tommy passed, I thought it would be fitting for us to have an episode. As, as all of you know who follow the podcast, I'm a huge Dodger fan, big baseball fan, big fan of these three men right here as well. For us to do a tribute to Tommy Lasorda, uh, here's some stories. We'll try to keep it clean, although... We're not governed by the FCC like you would be on the radio, so feel free to share anything you'd like. I will edit out whatever we feel like we need to, but knowing the three of you well, I think this will be a pretty clean conversation. Um, and also, uh, most of you know that uh, Hall of Famer Don Sutton, who pitched with Charlie and for Fred, and I'm sure uh, Pete has uh, some stories personally as well, passed just recently, and then today uh, we lost uh, the legendary Hank Aaron as well. So God's putting together quite a Hall of Fame team up there right now. And uh, I don't want to see who's next. So first of all, gentlemen, I'll start Fred with you. Uh, all of you welcome. Thank you so much for taking time to, to be with with me today and to to pay tribute to especially to Tommy, you know, the reason we got together today, but obviously, as we talked about to, to join in with Don and with Hank. Fred, I'd love to just kind of I, I know you in 1969, got a, a, I don't know if it was a beat reporter role, but you went down to Vero Beach for the first time and uh, was a re were a reporter covering the Dodgers. I'm assuming that around that time is probably when you met Charlie and when you met uh, Tommy as well. What comes up for you, just an in initial memory of getting to know Tommy? And we're going to talk a lot about World Series Championship with him and your, your years with him, but I'd love to hear just your first experience with Tommy Lasorda. Well, there's a very uh, direct tie-in, as Charlie knows very well, because uh, I was covering the Dodgers, my introduction to the Dodgers as a uh, beat writer for the Long Beach paper, uh, my first time in covering the Dodgers. Tommy was the manager of the Spokane team, and he and I became uh, very good friends in very quick fashion. And we would uh, go out to dinner two or three times a week and just had a tremendous friendship. And uh, so at one of those dinners, I had uh, mentioned to Tommy that I had uh, played a little baseball. I didn't go into detail at the time that was the uh, junior varsity level. But Tommy being Tommy, uh, when I maybe boasted a little about having uh, played uh, high school baseball, I said, well, so Trevor, why don't you take infield for us one day? And uh, I said, uh, you know, I wasn't going to back away from that. Uh, I was relatively young. I knew I could pick up a ground ball. I had been uh, always active and playing uh, basketball and running and staying active. And um, so I said, um, sure, I'd love to do it. So, um, and Charlie ties into this story because in uh, 
uh, one day early in spring training when the uh, Dodgers were going to play uh, the Twins in Orlando, I was about to get on the bus and um, go cover the game in Orlando. So Tommy came up to him. He was in a Spokane uniform. Uh, there was a, a game between uh, his Spokane team and Bakersfield on a nearby field at Dodger Town, as Charlie knows so well. So he said, hey, hey, Fred, he said, um, I, want you, I want you to suit up for us today. He said, uh, you know, you had mentioned that you wanted to uh, take a little win. I said, Char uh, Tommy, you got a game. You got a game here with Bakersfield. He said, okay, pal. He said, you get on that bus and you never mention that to me again. That, as Charlie knows, is the challenge of one Tommy Lasorda. So you really don't want to challenge me either. So I backed off the bus and said, uh, where do I get my uniform? He said, you go down to the minor league clubhouse, see Jim Ewing, get your minor, and get your uniform. So I go down, get my uniform, come back. He says, go warm up. So I go down the right field line, play a little catch, come back. And he said, uh, I said, okay, tell me I'm ready. He says, okay. He said, uh, go coach first base. I said, Lasorda, I didn't come here to coach. I came here to play. <laughs> nice. Okay. Okay, pal. Next inning, you go in and replace Bobby Valentine's shortstop. And I said, uh, okay. And uh, so I, um, I, I did just that. I won't go through the whole story, but my first at bat, there was a left-hander from um, uh, Bakersfield on the mound. His name was Dorn. He was, I think, the grandson of Warren Dorn, a noted Los Angeles person. They found my weakness immediately. They didn't need a scouting report. <laughs> um, three pitches, and I was back to the bench. <laughs> and but the game goes on. I stay in the game playing uh, shortstop for um, for Tommy Spokane team. And Pete, you tie into the story a little bit because oh, uh, um, <laughs> a former Trojan, uh, Steve Soggy, doubles the, what was going to be the last inning because they were short on pitching. And uh, so he's on second. I'm coming up. The game will uh, end at that uh, point. Either I get on base or uh, get uh, out for the third time. And remarkably, I sent a little flare to right field. And I thought, this ball's going to drop. I'm going to be the star of this game. <laughs> right fielder comes in, makes the sliding catch. I'm out. And the end of my professional career but after the game, there's uh, Tommy wants to um, has this thing where he's matching his players in the hundred yard dash. So um, Tommy, as Charlie will recall, matched me against Charlie. Hmm, nice. Now Charlie wasn't known for his speed, <laughs> Charlie well does, but that was my introduction. And I think the mean of that really and taking the time to tell that story, it's a lot what Tommy Lasorda was all about, connecting people, being personally involved with people. And, and, and that's, that's really who he was. And no one knows that better than Charlie. Charlie can speak for himself, but Tommy Lasorda was so instrumental in Charlie's career that was to span 25 years in the major league. So I'm thinking back more than half a century. 
wow. and my friendship with uh, Charlie and with Tommy. And those memories are so meaningful. No, that's great. I appreciate you sharing that. And that's a story that not many people have heard, I'm sure. So thank you for sharing that. I, I love that. And now I have a trivia question to hang over all my friends about Fred Clare playing professional baseball. Well, Charlie, around that same time frame, um, I know you were drafted in the 60s by the Dodgers. You made your debut about 1970 or so. In fact, I think it was 70. Take me back as well. Early memories. And I know you, you, you saw Tommy just as recently, probably more than any of us did. And I know you and your wife, Sharon, and Tommy and Joe were frequent dinner partners. And, and I know a lot about that as well from what you shared with me over the years. Take us back to your early memories of, of meeting Mr. Lasorda. Well, it goes back. Yeah, it does. Uh, 66, Ogden, Utah. I'm right out of high school, 18 years old. Tommy's a 38-year-old second-year manager in the rookie league. And uh, that was the beginning of something I'd never seen before, that sort of uh, enthusiastic uh, managing a ball game. And it lasted for me my whole career. That, that first year was that, that important to me. I think Tommy was probably the most important part of the Dodger organization as a minor league manager. I mean, it, the the things he put into instilled in his players was an absolutely incredible. And it just like, like it stuck with me as so many young players and, and Fred is absolutely right. I couldn't run a lick. <laughs> That's why I, ended up still pitching. I would say my career with Tommy was probably more fun uh, in the minor league side uh, where he was uh so so much into how hard we had to work to get to Dodger Stadium. Um, he was probably, like I say, I, I think he was maybe more important. Now, I know he's a Hall of Fame manager, but that stuff he instilled in young players was absolutely incredible for me. Is there a lesson that you think of as you say that statement? Is there something that comes up for you that was like maybe that first tipping point with you that thought, wow, this guy really knows his stuff. And if I latch on to what he's teaching me, I'm going to be okay. Yeah. I, I think right there in Ogden in rookie ball, um, the amount of work we had to put in at that point, I mean, I was a high school pitcher and third baseman and first baseman and just kind of played baseball like a lot of kids. And here I am where, wow, this is now a profession. This is, this is, I'm going to make my living at this. And after that first year, and I went to the instructional league, Tommy was running that. And uh, I went home after that and I never quit work. And I threw all winter, just tried to get in the best shape I'd ever been in my life. And I ended up pitching very well the next year in the high A league uh, and got to double A. I won 16 and five year with like 15 complete games in the minor leagues, uh, strictly because I started working at it. I wanted to get better. And unfortunately, the following year, I hurt my shoulder and my regular stuff was nowhere to be found after that. <laughs> I know you've shared your uh, when you and I had a chance to go one on one on the podcast a few months ago about the impetus for the knuckleball. Can you share that a little bit? And, and I know, like you said, you didn't have your regular stuff, yeah. but then, you know, yeah. the godsend is you use that knuckleball and it, it, it did pretty well for you. 
Again, again, yeah. some very yeah. important Dodger people there involved in, in mm-hmm. my ever getting a chance to play. Uh, after the 69 season, my shoulder was really bad. It was I was two plus years in double A and going backwards. And I, I kind of begged them to let me go to the instructional league again in Arizona. So it's September, October, um, they let me go. I was kind of hoping my shoulder would get better. And the first day there, Tommy was running the team, but the first day there, one of our minor league kind of roving coaches, gentleman named Goldie Holt, not the most famous baseball person around, mm-hmm. but what a man, what a great guy. He walked up to me when I was playing catch and said, hey, have, have you ever tried to throw a knuckleball? And my reply was, no, I've never tried. Show me how to hold it. And in five minutes, he gave, showed me a grip. In five minutes, I played catch. And after a little bit, I threw one that didn't spin. And he said, that's the way to throw it, right there. And I basically walked off the field, went over to Tommy, said, from now on, I'm going to throw a knuckleball. And he said, well, you better, because you're going to go home if you don't. (laughs) Nice. And, uh, you know, I I threw it all winter. And it was okay at times. You know, I'd strike out a guy once in a while and then walk the next two or three, which happened a lot in my career. But uh, (laughs) I went to spring training the next year, 70. And for some reason, I don't know why, Tommy, uh, I had a decent spring, nothing great, but he kept me on the AAA team. And I remember him saying to me when the season started, you throw a knuckleball till it's 3-0. and And if you believe you're going to get it over, you throw it 3-0. and And that stayed with me for a long, long time. It's the, the confidence that he put in me. He knew I was going to walk some. And he knew I was going to throw a 3-0 knuckleball once in a while and walk somebody. But uh, he trusted me to win the game. And, and that's what I, I absolutely loved about Tommy. That's a wonderful lesson to learn at any age, but especially as a young man. That was more, more than just throw your knuckleball. I believe in you and the knuckleball. It's teaching you about believing in yourself. And that's such a great lesson for a leader to teach anybody is, look, trust your gut, go with your best stuff. I appreciate that. I want to come back to that in a minute, but Pete, I want to go to you for a second now, a little bit different angle. Obviously I know your, your time with Tommy goes back as well, maybe not to the sixties, but probably seventies or eighties. I'd love to hear just kind of your early experiences with Tommy. And and I know we've talked already recently about some of the stories you have and just what comes to mind in your personal experiences with Tommy before we maybe go into any of the deep stories. I'm going to tell you, I'll tell you a couple of quickies. Excellent. Of course, of course, we were fans first. Right. It came up uh, and, and, you know, at picture day, we'd go down on the field and usually I'd get my picture taken because I had an idea of what I wanted to be when I was a grown up. And I would get my picture taken with Vin Scully or Jerry Doggett or John Ramsey. Uh, and, and then later when Tommy came, he was our favorite guy, you know, Dusty Baker, because we, we lived in left field out in Bakersfield. So we, we, we loved him and we get a picture taken with him, but we try to get a picture with Tommy every time we could. Uh, who couldn't love the guy at third base coaching uh, with all the histrionics and the arm waving and the diving on the floor when yeah. a guy's coming into third and all that. So that was great. Then you fast forward a little bit when I got the job as the PA announcer in 89, um, one of the perks of the job was every so often you could get your family down on the field just to kind of get a close-up look at what was going on. And, uh, you know, Tommy's affinity for children. 
And I had two kids at the time, uh, period, and they got to know him. And to this day, they still think he is their actual legitimate Uncle Tommy. <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and I explained to them when he passed a few days ago, I said, look, guys, everybody on the planet in Los Angeles thinks he's their Uncle Tommy. It's not just you, but they were on his knee in the, in the clubhouse and, and playing catch with him and running alongside of him, running the bases with him, the whole thing. So it was great. And my son, Leo, uh, uh, sold raffle tickets until recently at Dodger Stadium. And, uh, and he would make a point of stopping and talking to Tommy. And Tommy always had time to chat with him, uh, no matter what, and learned his name and learned who he was and, and you know, really cared about people individually. So uh, those are my earliest memories of Tommy. Is, uh, I've got a couple of other stories, but as you say, you want to get in depth, we, we, we can do that later. When I actually was on the day that he passed, I was listening to one of the local radio talk shows uh, on 570 Dodger Station, and uh, your son called in. It wasn't Leo, yes. your other son yeah. called in, and I heard him talking, yeah, I'm Pete Arbogast's son. It was great to hear some of his stories as well. So, yeah, and I have stories too, and this isn't about my stories with Tommy, but what I what stands out to me is, is relationships and what stands out is just every individual, like you said, felt like he was uncle Tommy and that I met him in 2000 at the baseball winter meetings. Uh, briefly, it was one evening and it was a fun night uh, with a lot of people. And uh, five or six years later, when he really came into my radar, when I was running the flyers and Charlie became our pitching coach. And I might get to that story here in a little bit. Tommy remembered that night that we met because a couple significant things happened. And it was really, it was a year that A-Rod signed his big contract with the Rangers. And, you know, everybody was kind of gathered in the atrium in the hotel down in Dallas. And we were all, you know, talking about that and so forth. But yeah, definitely. I, I, I think of relationships and I think of how every individual really felt special around Tommy. So Fred, when you think of that and, and the relationships that you've watched over the years in your career, I know how special Tommy was to you. I, when you and I talked a few months ago on the podcast and the pictures I've seen on sports center and on local news and in the newsprint since Tommy passed the famous one of you and Tommy holding up the world series trophy in 1988. Talk about your personal, and I don't want to dive too personally here, obviously, but your personal relationship, maybe just off the field a little bit with Tommy, things that nobody really hears about. Well, the friendship with uh, Tommy, as I said, began in uh, 1969. And uh, when Tommy and Charlie would know these people, when we would go out to dinner, because Tommy, you know, is this magnetic personality. But what really impressed me about Tommy is that in many springs, he would bring along two other people that he wanted to have there. Uh, one was Burt Wells, who Charlie knows very well, who was a longtime scout. The other one was a name that few people would know other than longtime Dodgers, and that was John Carey, kind of an unknown player development guy. And when I saw that, I knew that that was the heart and soul of Tommy as related to baseball and as related to people. Not the glamor that everybody knows him for, but the true baseball people. Here's one that uh, Charlie mentioned, like Goldie Holt, uh, who was uh, an unknown to many, but not to those of us who were in the Dodger organization. And that's really who Tommy was. So our relationship uh, the friendship that started and uh, and through the years and um, 
there were any number of times at um, luncheons and so forth where Tommy would introduce me as one of his brothers. So we were really that that close. And um, I became the um, the general manager in 1987. And now you have a relationship between the general manager and the manager. Get as Charlie Wells knows, that doesn't always run smoothly. Uh, but the one thing that uh, we both had was a tremendous love for the Dodgers and a tremendous competitive spirit. And no matter what happened in a meeting where you're trying to resolve things to get, build the best scheme possible, when we came out, we were always together. And so uh, Tommy and I um, really uh, reunited uh, when I was invited by the Dodgers to throw out the um, ceremonial first pitch. I think that was in 2017. So the last two years, as Tommy struggled with his health, and I think about it, we were once again as close as we had been 50 years before. And that's the most uh, meaningful thing uh, to me. Yeah, I think in our closest relationships, one of the things I hear with a lot of people, and I've said it myself with some, is we picked up where we left off. That sounds like you're saying the same thing. Yes. That's fantastic. Yeah. The From the Heart podcast is presented by Orange Kiwi Consulting. The three most challenging transitions owners face, scale, sale, and succession, often result in a costly and confusing journey, but it doesn't have to be that way. Orange Kiwi helps their clients succeed where others fail by navigating the challenges others can't. Find out how Orange Kiwi helps you avoid the costly and confusing journey to realize the results you're looking for with less stress and more satisfaction. Visit their website, orangekiwiLLC.com. Choose Contact Us. Enter the promo code HLG2020 for a complimentary 30-minute consultation. Charlie, I know, as I mentioned at the outset, you and your wife and Char- and Tommy and Joe had spent a lot of time together. And I'm going to just really quickly tell a fun story that where... So in 2006, I was running the Fullerton Flyers Independent Minor League Team in Orange County, California. And um, through great fortune, I met some people who knew Charlie Huff. We, Gary Templeton was my manager, and Gary and I were looking for a pitching coach. And um, Steve Detola, the Associate Athletic Director at Cal State Fullerton then and still today, uh, told me that he knew Charlie Huff. They played golf together, they're friends, and yeah, maybe Charlie would be interested. So Steve did a little groundwork for me. One thing led to another, and I found myself feeling like Pete Carroll sitting in a, in a high school senior's living room with his parents trying to convince him to come to USC. I'm sitting in Charlie's living room with he and his wife, Sharon, and Sharon brings out a couple tuna sandwiches and maybe a couple of glasses of iced tea if I'm not filling in details that weren't real. That, that's what I remember anyway, and um, had a chance to sit and chat with Charlie. Well, Charlie had already decided, yeah, I want to do this. He probably already talked to Gary. I don't even know, but uh you know, sitting there and talking with Charlie. So I'm real excited about meeting Charlie Huff. I grew up watching Charlie pitch. I've got all these stories, as, as Pete mentioned, as a fan. And uh, now Charlie Huff's going to come be my pitching coach. So th- I think that was like a Thursday. I come into the office on Friday, do my thing. You know, we're writing a press release and we're, you know, sending it to everybody. My PR person sends it to ESPN and all the different affiliates all around the country and Baseball America and we're starting to get some phone calls back from, I got a phone call back from someone at ESPN. Hey, would you like to talk about this? Charlie Huff, come to be your pitching coach. Pretty cool. 
So I go to lunch, come back, and my light's flashing on my phone, and I play the message. It's Tommy Lasorda. Hey, Eddie, this is Tommy Lasorda, and I understand you just got Charlie Huff to be your pitching coach. Give me a call when you get a chance. I'd like to talk to you about that. So I, before calling Tommy back or even calling Charlie and saying, I got this message, what's this about? I'm calling my dad and playing it for him, and I'm bringing my assistant GM, Nick, into my own. Listen to this. Tommy Lasorda just left me a message. And um, long story short, Tommy, I, I then found out how close Tommy and Charlie, I knew that they were, but I found out how close they were. And and uh, the, the Dodgers have been trying to get Charlie to come back and be a, a pitching coach. Well, I'm thinking they want Charlie to come be the pitching coach for the Dodgers. And there's just no chance I'm going to, you know, compete against that. I call Charlie and talk to him about it. And Charlie's like, yeah, he wants me to go to like Ogden or something. But I'm still thinking, well, if Tommy Lasorda wants Charlie, Tommy Lasorda is going to get Charlie. So Tommy and I start entering into some negotiation here because now I'm heartbroken because I'm getting to know Charlie. And, you know, it's not going to hurt us to have Charlie Huff as our pitching coach, too. Long story short, Tommy offered me 10,000 baseballs in a trade for the rights to Charlie Huff. And that, that story actually made bigger news. No, no offense, Charlie, but that made bigger news than us getting you as our pitching coach. But uh, the good news is that when, when Charlie and Tommy and their wives had dinner that Sunday night, uh, I was expecting a call Sunday night from Charlie telling me, well, sorry, kid, you know, you, you, you had me for 48 hours, but I'm going to the Dodgers. And Instead, the call was, I'm not going to the Dodgers. I'm your pitching coach. Don't worry about it. So um, Tommy and I had some fun with that after. You know, we texted a lot. We talked a lot. And every time I was at the stadium and saw him, I went down. And he remembered me as the 10,000 baseball guy. And and uh, just that relationship with Tommy just kind of took off. But so, Charlie, I, I would love to, um, anywhere you want to go, you, you've you've got just millions of memories with, with, with Tommy, you personally, as well as, you know, as couples, just take us where you want to go right now. Well, I, I, I would say my favorite stuff about Tommy, as I said, was being with him in the minor leagues, being with him six years in winter ball in the Dominican Republic mm -hmm. and in Venezuela. And one particular year, Tommy uh, is managing Lise in the Dominican. I'm, I'm one of his players. And I had to go home for a weekend to do uh, my military commitment. I was in the Marine Corps Reserves. So I missed the weekend. On Monday, I'm fly, I fly back to the Dominican. And I'm picked up at the airport late. My flight was very late. So the game, our Lycee game, which was in Santiago, a town way up in the the tip of the Dominican Republic. And we had played a game there and the cab driver, I don't speak much Spanish or don't understand much. Apparently Tommy had been thrown out of the game in the like ninth inning, eighth or ninth inning. And it was a big argument. I don't know exactly the what happened because I wasn't there, but I know the cab drivers telling me trying to explain something that Tommy's in jail, okay? And what turned out, Tommy argued with the umpire as he walked off the field after being thrown out of the game, it's still the ninth inning, and he takes his uniform top off and throws it away, he takes a shoe off, throws it away, takes another shoe off, throws it away, and uh, walks into the clubhouse. We end up winning the game. Tommy won his argument, but still thrown out of the game. And apparently some big general in town 
running the police there uh, had lost a pretty sizable bet on the game. So he has Tommy arrested after the game and put in jail for indecent exposure. But <laughs> That's now, awesome. now, now the, the bus, the ball club bus, it's got Jay Alou on it. Jesus Alou. What a star. What a guy. And Alou went in and talked to the general to get him out. And Tommy's listening in Spanish. They're talking Spanish and Jay's trying to get him out of the jail. And next thing Tommy hears is the bus pulling off and he wasn't on it. <laughs> so the, the following day, they finally got him out. And that's, the, that's you know, something that, that was so Tommy. Uh, <laughs> it, it just amazed me that he pulled it off, got out of jail the next day and was just fine with it. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. Definitely stories that we don't read about and don't hear about. What question for any of the three of you? Okay. Obviously, Fred and Charlie, you've known them the longest of the four of us here, but you know, uh, Pete, you've had experiences with them too. There's a lot of guys who love baseball. There's a lot of guys who love their team, who spent their whole career with a team, who were ambassadors for baseball, because that's a term we hear for Tommy quite a bit. What was unique about Tommy? And there's a lot. But when you think of the uniqueness that makes him that lovable guy, you know, yeah, Yankee fans and Giants fans hate him, but they make fun. But I have a, a good buddy who worked for the Giants for a long time who said that every time a, a member of the front office of the Giants had a baby, Tommy would send a pink Dodger onesie to them as a sort of a joke. But that was, and, and they loved him for it and they love him to this day for it. What would you say is the thing that made him so unique that he became not just this ambassador for the Dodgers and ambassador for baseball, but someone that everybody loved and respected and, and made him who he is. Anything come to mind from any of the three of you? I, I think it was Tommy's um, overwhelming passion for the game. Uh, Tommy was a, a fan of the game uh, as a youngster. And um, as he has said um, many times, he was probably the um, third pitcher on his Norristown, Pennsylvania team. And someone said that to me that, well, it was, it was the Dodgers, Fred. What, what, what it would it have been like if he had pitched for another team? And I, I feel in my mind, in my heart, it would have been the same thing had it been the Cardinals, the Yankees, the Brewers, or any team. Tommy had just a absolute passion uh, for the game. And also for people. And that's, that's really the, the, the thing. That, that, that's really who Tommy was. Uh, the people. And it's been so wonderful to see all the appreciation. Um, everyone who has a Tommy story also has, Pete, as you mentioned, a picture with Tommy. Tommy loved the game. And he loved people. And he connected uh, the two. And no matter what he had done in his life, uh, he would have been just as passionate about it. It was simply uh, his heart and his soul um, in, uh, in loving what he did and loving people, and particularly with children, um, and also for so many other great causes. And that, that should never, and I know will never be forgotten. 
Absolutely. Charlie, what about you? I mean, I know probably Fred hit on some of those. I saw you nodding a lot for those that are listening. I hope you'll get a chance to watch this because seeing the interaction with these three men is pretty awesome too. Well, you know, my kids uh, are in their middle 40s, a couple of them, two of them, and they still refer to him as Uncle Tom. Mm -hmm. Um, My granddaughter, my granddaughter, 12 years old, 11 years old now, uh, has lost her Uncle Tom. And she only met him a few times. And and it's, I, I think that's almost more important, more, it was certainly more important to me than what he managed me in in the game but just being a part of my family part of my life uh that included baseball you know that that's that was to me more important and it was more about him uh being just a big fan i mean that's what he was i think a big baseball fan and as fred said it just happened to be the dodgers Right. It could have been the A's, you know, in Philadelphia or Kansas, mm-hmm. Kansas City. I mean, it it was his personality, I think, that was more important than his knowledge of the game, coaching, whatever. He got people to work because he liked you. And, you know, like all four of us here on this call, he grew quickly to love the Dodgers. And I know he got many opportunities to to interview and potentially even go and manage other teams. But he was like, I'd rather coach the Dodgers than manage. I think I heard him say once I'd rather be on the bottom rung of the ladder. I want to be on than on the top of a ladder. I don't want to be on. And, uh, you know, he knew at some point he'd get his opportunity. Pete, you, uh, you sent me a little note here. Tell me a story or two that comes to mind for you when you think about relationships. I've got two, a one game story for you. I was doing the PA and uh, he had a showdown with the Braves manager who was trying to bring up a pinch hitter for their pitcher. And uh, he wanted to get Tommy to make the pitching change on the other side. And so the Braves batter stayed on the on-deck circle forever. <laughs> and he wouldn't come to the plate. And finally, the umpire looked, looked over there and like shake, shaking his head like, what's going on here? And, and uh, he looked in the Dodger dugout to Tommy, like, are you going to make your pitching change? Nothing was happening. It was nothing happening for a good two minutes. Hmm. He up let this go. Finally, their batter starts to meander up to the plate, slow as he can. And he wandered around back behind the umpire, back behind the catcher. And he stood outside the batter's box and just stood there for the longest time. Finally, the umpire kind of nodded to him, said, what are you going to do? So he stepped in the batter's box. And as soon as he stepped in the batter's box, and you know, as a public address announcer, there are only four rules in the Major League Baseball rule book that apply to public address announcers. And I knew them all. <laughs> as soon as he steps in the batter's box, he becomes a batter. And I announced him. Now, ladies and gentlemen, now batting this guy for the Braves. I forget who it was. And now Tommy comes out <laughs> and makes the pitching change. Because now <laughs> they got that guy out of the game because now they can get another pinch hitter to come in. Well, here comes the Braves manager out to argue that he never he never told the umpire to put him in the game, and I shouldn't have made the announcement. And so the umpire calls me on the phone. I think it was Joe West, and you know how he could be. <laughs> and, and he calls me on the phone in the press box, and I get on the, the line to the dugout from the Dodger, and, he, and the umpire ripped me a new one. I mean, he gave it to me good. And I said, hey, look, I know the rule. It's, it's, it's uh, I forget it now, 3C something. 
and and, uh, and he don't ever quote the rule book to me and you know, <laughs> a string of expletives. And uh, and they allowed the Braves manager to uh, not have that batter go. And Tommy played the game under protest, and we ended up winning the game, so nothing happened. Uh, I got to appear on the post game show with Vinny, which was kind of fun. <laughs> but after the game, I got a phone call from Tommy. Tommy says, you were absolutely right to do it exactly like you did it. And I was sitting in the dugout praying that you weren't going to say anything until the guy <laughs> stepped to the batter's box. And the next day, Joe West called me and apologized because he read the rule book and said, you're absolutely right. So that's one. Two, and every once in a while, you're on the field as a PA announcer. And, and uh, there's some downtime between announcements, first pitch guy, you know, citizen of the game, that kind of thing. This is all before the game. So I'm sitting in the dugout and, and Tommy knows what I do for a living. I'm calling USC football and basketball games. And Tommy is a huge USC fan. Uh, big friends with Rod Dato, of course. Yeah. But, uh, but bigger than that, a big SC football fan. So he would chew my ear off about SC football. Non-stop whenever he got a chance. When he saw me in there, he'd just run over, sit down and say, what are we going to be like this year? That hmm. kind of thing. So fast forward to the 2003. Five national championship game. SC is going to play Oklahoma and Miami. Mm -hmm. And uh, for the first time in my life, and only one of two times in my life, I get to fly on a private jet. Uh, so we're, we don't know who's. We, we, my wife and I got invited to fly on a private jet instead of the team plane. We're I'm taking that opportunity anytime. Great. So we get there to the airport. It's out in Fullerton, and we get on the plane, and we see a few friends from SC. And then the guests of honor out of the 12 people probably that are on the plane are Tommy Lasorda and Rod Dado. Mm -hmm. We didn't say a word no. the whole two and a half, three hour trip there. I mean, every once in a while, you're maybe asking a question, but they're talking firsthand about uh, Babe Ruth, you know, the, the firsthand stories going way, way back. Um, and we're just sitting there with our mouths open, just staring at them, listening to the story. And then Tommy turns to me and he goes, Pete, and I, I'll leave out all the colorful languages. <laughs> everybody, what do you think is going to happen in the game? And I said, well, I think it's going to be a great game. And everybody thinks it's going to be really tight. And he goes, that's ah, a bunch of BS. <laughs> SC is going to kill Oklahoma. They're going to kill them. If it's not more than three touchdowns, I'll be surprised. And when they do, you will talk about me on the post-game show and you will give me the credit that I deserve. Nice. said, if they beat them by three touchdowns, I'll be happy to do that. And they did. They killed them 55 to 10. It was like 15, whatever, 15, or 15, 14, whatever yeah. it was. It was terrible. And so we're getting back on the plane a couple of days later, and Tommy sees me coming and he runs down the gangplank. He says, I told you so. I told you. That. <laughs> he was the only guy that picked SC to beat Oklahoma badly that week. Yeah. So that was really fun. That, and uh, that, it's just great to remember him because he, he had his fingers in so many pies. It's like he knew a little bit about everybody about everything, and he never forgot anything either. So that was the that was the best part. I appreciate that. That's great. I was one of those that picked SC Big Two, but in my heart, and I didn't say it to anybody. Yeah, so, smart, and I didn't smart. I didn't demand you to say anything about me on the post game show then, and I knew you then too. Charlie, what is it about Tommy that you hope to carry on and teach maybe people who didn't know Tommy yet? What would you tell them about this friend of yours? Ah. The work, um, you know, I still work for the Dodgers. Mm -hmm. I uh, do some advisory work with pitchers in the minor leagues. 
And that is absolutely because of Tommy. I mean, it, the thought that how important a coach or somebody behind you helping you in the minor leagues can be a huge factor in playing in the big leagues. And to me, that's what I love to do. And I think it's strictly because of what he put in me years ago, uh, that desire to see somebody do well. And, uh, you know, that, that's what I love. Uh, that's what I admired so much about him was that desire to do good with young kids. Yeah. And, you know, I know a lot of um, emeritus people in baseball and in sports get that special advisor title as a title. Yeah. But I get that it was a much more than a title with Tommy. I've been to spring training a couple of times and seen him down there. And I know that he said the day they tell me I can't go to spring training, I quit. I mean, that's a famous line that's been all over TV lately. Um, you or Fred, who experienced him at spring training a lot and experienced him over the latter part of his life and his career, what, what did that special advisor role mean? Not, not just what was the definition of the job description, but what do you think that meant to him? Fred, let's go to you first. Well, I think... Uh... What was really important uh, for Tommy was to be heard. He, I don't think Tommy was ever really interested, as strange as it may sound, by any title. I think those people that he appreciated the most were those who would listen to him, who would take his opinions and give them consideration. That's what it was uh, all about. And I think Tommy was happiest when he knew that he was being listened to, whatever the role may be, and he could make an impact. And as in our relationship and as a general manager, uh, I always listened to Tommy. And uh, I'll be very candid to say that there was a time with the Dodgers, various ownership changes, being very candid, where that didn't happen. Tommy Hawkins, the late wonderful Tommy Hawkins, called me one day and he said, Fred, I just had lunch with Tommy. And he said, you know what he said to me? He said, hey, Hawk, he said, nobody's listened to me since Fred left. And I took that as a great compliment because, as I said before, Tommy and I may have had our differences. It just wasn't my opinion against his, but I had the responsibility to listen to all of our scouts and to all of our coaches and ultimately to make a decision and to take the responsibility for that decision. But there was never, ever a time when I didn't respect Tommy's opinion, when I didn't listen to Tommy's opinion, and uh, and and Tommy um, Tommy knew that, and that was very that's very very important uh, in those roles. Can you talk a little bit about the magic of 1988? Obviously, we know prior to this year that was the last championship the Dodgers won. I know that you came in to a team that was not real successful in '87. Um, or a few years prior. Um, I mean, they'd won the World Series six years prior. It's not like today, it was six years ago, we'd all be happy. But, uh, you know, what have you done for me lately? Seems to be what everybody says now. But what was it that was so magical about your chemistry with Tommy? And we've talked before, you and I, about the chemistry of the team and 
you know, for time's sake, I'd really much more go into our leaders of that team, you and you and Tommy, what was the magic in that chemistry between the two of you that you think played a big role in winning that year? Because it wasn't the greatest team on the field. In many ways, uh, it was one of his greatest, if not his greatest seasons for this reason. And it was a total difference. And I haven't seen this written or focused on. In 81, it was a team of Dodgers from the farm system who Tommy knew, who he had helped to raise. And as Charlie knows, in 74 and 77 and 78 in World Series appearances, it was homegrown Dodgers. Now in 88, you're facing a totally different situation. In comes a number of players in key positions, and many of them from the American League, where there wasn't interleague play. And so Tommy's ability to blend players, Alfredo coming as the shortstop, uh, Kirk, uh, Tim Belcher, Jay Howes, the closer, Charlie No, you're, you're taking all these players that have come from different places and from players that he really wasn't that familiar with in some cases. But when you became a Dodger, as Tommy is the manager, Tommy's first words to that player is, you're now a Dodger. And he made that mm -hmm. point time and again, and he backed it up. So I, I think it was Tommy's ability to, to take players from different areas and to mold them. And boy, did he ever uh, do that. And at the same time, it's very important uh, to have, obviously, the right players. Because on that team were a lot of players, Charlie knows them well, a really great character. Maybe not well-known when we made the trade for John Shelby, had spent a long time in the minor leagues. But th that team had true uh, character, and Tommy help to uh, mold them and bring them together as Dodgers. Yeah, he was always famous for that line. If you play for the name on the front of the jersey, not the name on the back, you hear Tommy say that a lot. I'm sure, Charlie, you heard that a lot as well, being in the clubhouse with him. I know you were with the Dodgers prior to, as Fred just alluded to, you were on the 74, 77, and 78 World Series teams that ended up not winning at all. Uh, you and I joked as you, as at the beginning of the podcast today, you know, what was in your heart was a Dodger world championship. You finally got that. Talk about that emotion of Tommy and you as well, obviously, but Tommy getting to see this world series championship right before he passed away. That's so huge. Yeah. I mean, we had gone through some strange times in the seventies there and we were a really good ball club and we just couldn't get past for me anyway, we couldn't get past the Yankees. The damn Yankees, yep. We, we couldn't get past Reggie Jackson, who was on the Oakland when we lost in 74. Yeah. Uh, and what's his name? Gave up a pretty big home run to Reggie in the 77 <laughs> World Series. What's his name? But, you know, the emotion there. I, I have, like the rest of my career, wanted to be on the team that beats the Yankees in the World Series preferably be, be the Dodgers. And, uh, 
you know, it, it, unfortunately, it wasn't the Yankees this year. I mean, it, it, really, that, that's kind of important to me. I, I would love to be a part of the Dodgers this coming year. The only thing I got to do now is pull for the Yankees. So, there you go. Oh, that's hard. That's hard to do. But yeah, I hear you. Yankees a little more. They had a shot, but uh, that to me, I mean that that emotion for me, and I, I think it comes from Tommy, uh, is what I think this game's about. And it's fun. It, it is fun. I mean, it, I just love it, and I love being around Tommy and the Dodgers. Did you have any conversations with him since the World Series before his passing? I know he's pretty sick, but I'm assuming with how just close you were. Briefly on the phone. Just yeah. briefly on the phone, uh, and you know he was struggling, and and it was, but it was still fun, mm -hmm. still fun, still fun to hear from him. Uh, you know, just uh, it's like I say, it was very sad for me and and my whole family. Yeah, definitely. I thought it's funny. I that day I texted you right away. I knew that that was an emotional day for you because I know yeah. how close you and Tommy have been for years, and you as well, Fred. Um, Pete, just uh, one last thing on Tommy with you. What was it about, I hate to ask the what was it, because that's what we're talking about, but when you sum up Tommy Lasorda from your perspective, you didn't work with him for 50 years and go to dinner with him regularly like, like these gentlemen did, but what was it about you as a, as a, as a well-known Southern California person like you are with your role with USC and your past role with the Dodgers, what stands out to you as what made Tommy, Tommy? Like I mentioned, he, he, he every time, I, I wouldn't see him for years at a time and you'd run into him and, he, and he'd know who you were and ask about your family and, and uh, talk about something that you did 20 years ago. Uh, that, that's, that's the kind of mind that he had. He was just a really nice guy. And that's what, I mean, that's what you wanted to have yeah. in a friend. And that, that's what you got with Tom. That, that's the number one thing I think is that he, he really, seemed to care. He seemed to want to make you feel like the most important person in the world. Yeah. And I felt that way. And I had of the, of the four of us, the least of the relationship with Tommy as you guys did. But uh, I always felt like he, you know, he remembered me five years later from having met me on an evening in, in the winter meetings. And then, you know, the friendship that we developed because of Charlie primarily, because Charlie came on as the pitching coach, as I talked about, but up until a year ago, I was talking with, with Tommy every time I saw him at Dodger Stadium. You know, I wish I could have been in Dodger Stadium in 2020, like we all wish we could have. Uh, but, you know, COVID told us otherwise. But it was so nice that every time I went, if I got within 50 feet of him and hollered his name, he'd come over to me and give me a hug and talk to me. And that's just, remember, you know, just always remember who I was. Any la I, I want to transition for in the last little bit to, you know, Don Sutton and Hank Aaron as we wrap up. But before we do, I know that you got the news Fred and Charlie at Tommy's Memorial at Dodger Stadium about the passing of Don Sutton. And I want to go there in a minute, but I don't want to like skip away from anything else. If there's anything else about Tommy you want to share as we planned this today, if any of the three of you have any other nuggets or stories or, or you know, last words of, of memorial in this particular setting today about Tommy that you'd like to share, I'm going to just give you the floor. Well, I think he'll always be with all of us, as he will be with many people, uh, because of um, those uh, those friendships, and that is and will be his um, his legacy. Thank you, Fred. Charlie. Yeah, I, I think that's it. I, I think it's not so much about Tommy managing the team. I think it was kind of Tommy, for me anyway. 
Tommy being a friend of people that love baseball. And that's the way I feel about it. Yeah, something that stands out to me really quickly, and then I'm going to go back to you, Charlie, about the memorial, um, how the current players talk about him. You know, to hear Justin Turner and Cody Bellinger and these other guys who never played for Tommy talk about him as if they did. And just the influence that he had on today's player. I mean, you, you came up in the system in the 60s. Justin Turner's playing on the 2020 team, as is Bellinger and these other guys. Um, you all talk about him the same way. I mean, that, that says volumes about a human being that every generation of friend and, in, and people who have been influenced by him say the same things. I think that's really, really cool. So talk about a little bit, Charlie. I know from what I read and what you shared with me, you were at the memorial when you got the news about Don Sutton. I know you and Sutton pitched together with the Dodgers. Um, I have many, many memories as a teenager and, and so forth of watching him start a game and you come in and finishing it. Talk about Sutton a little bit. Well, I didn't get to finish too many of his games. <laughs> you didn't need to. Yeah, he, he had like 9,000 complete games or something yeah, like that. It's amazing. What, yeah. Yeah, you, you, you stop and think that Don Sutton, you know, won 300 and what, 320? 324, I think, yeah. The, the thing that stands out for me more than the amount of wins is the amount of years he pitched. And I can't remember him ever missing a start. It, it's a an incredible feat that he pulled off and not a big man, not a huge, strong, you know, uh, it just do his job. He, he was incredible that way. It's on his hall of fame plaque. I was there uh, a year or two ago. And then Tim Mead, who you all know, Tim's a very close friend of mine, president of the baseball hall of fame. And Tim was going to join us today, but he unfortunately wasn't able to, but I'm sure he'll watch and listen to this over the weekend. But, Tim posted a picture, I think, on Twitter the other day uh, that said on the bottom of the plaque that Sutton never missed a start in his career due to illness or injury. Who else? Can, who can you say that about? Cal Ripken. You know, that's Cal Ripken-esque. It really is. He doesn't get the credit because he was a pitcher who pitched every five days. But, yeah, if he were a, a position player, he'd have been right up there with and how, how comforting for a fan to be able to know that every four days you got a guy going out there throwing seven, eight, nine innings number 20 is going to be out there on the mound yeah oh, let's go to the game tonight sutton's pitching it'll yeah. be quick yeah it'll be quick and we know it's gonna be sutton he's not gonna get scratched yeah yeah what was that like for you fred as the gm and having knowing that you had a guy like sutton that you could rely on every fifth day and and i know the type of person he was off the field too but talk a little bit about your memories of sutton and, and the influence he had on you well just the uh incredible uh consistency um, 23 seasons he never went on the disabled list one time and Don um, uh, so deserving of, he, he really accomplished what he wanted to when you listen to Don's quotes or go back and listen to his remarks when he was inducted into the Hall of Fame he took great pride in saying there was never a day, basically, that I didn't give my best at any time in a 23-year career. And he took such great pride in that, but in doing so, he established all these remarkable records. And... Um, uh, 
my own memory of Don is that in uh, for the 1988 season, and we had had we were six. The team Dodgers were 16 games under 500 in '86 and '87. And I remember meeting with uh, uh, Don uh, for breakfast at the Biltmore Hotel. I told him I wanted to meet with him, and I brought along someone Charlie knows very well, Bill Schweppe, the wonderful farm director. And I told Don that I wanted to work it out. I wanted to bring him back to the Dodgers. Um, and uh, we worked out the contract and there was two things. I, I felt Don could help us. I pitched for the Angels the previous season and I felt that he had um, uh, enough to, to help us. But more important, what I wanted to do was to bring him into that spring training camp and let our young pitchers see how a future Hall of Fame pitcher prepares, because mm -hmm. that's part of who Don was. He worked at it, thought about it, gave it everything he had in every way. And so he set an example uh, for the Dodgers um, in spring training, went on to um, contribute to that um, uh, World Series winning team, and um, I was so happy that at the end of the year that he accepted our invitation to go with us back to the White House, and it was really, um, as it turns out, uh, Don's only uh, World Series ring. Hmm. Wow. Speaking about his preparation, Fred, he was the first guy I ever remember as a fan, I mean, again, we sat out in the bleachers so we could watch this up close. During his preparation before a game, he's the first guy I remember throwing the really long toss from deep center field all the way to the, to the left field line. He's the first guy I ever remember seeing do that. As Charlie knows better than anyone, he had great mechanics, mm -hmm. flawless mechanics. And um, Phil Regan called me uh, the, a couple of mornings ago and uh, he talked about um, when Don broke in in uh, 1966, he had pitched in 65 in the minor leagues. So 66, that spring, as you know, was the holdout of uh, Sandy and Don. But the thing that Phil said in recalling that young Don Sutton at that time, he said, Fred, even though he was a young pitcher, when he came into that clubhouse or when he was on that mound, you just had the feeling that this young guy had total confidence and was very confident in where he was and what he was able to do. And, and he, he had it early, which was such a huge part of his ongoing success. There are a few pitchers in the history of the game who had great success, who showed that and that consistency so early in his career, his young 20s. Yeah, and Charlie, you and Don, thanks, Fred. I appreciate that. Charlie, you and Don came up together, basically, about the same time. You, you, uh, I don't know if you broke in the same year. I think you broke in a little before you did. But um, obviously, pitchers bond. I know from having played high school baseball and worked in minor league baseball that 
you know, the pitchers are shagging balls in the outfield together and you're getting a lot of joke time and play time and bus time and airplane time together. Anything about Don that stands out to you that uh, as a fun story or something you learned or something he inspired in you? I, I became pretty good friends with Don, you know, he was, uh, two years ahead of me, I think it was uh, signing. Um, and yeah, about two years older. But he was a big leaguer at like 20, and I was <laughs> well behind that. Um, he, he was special, but I can tell you, one year, 73 or so, uh, in, let's see, it might have been 72, I'm not sure, I got sent down. And uh, I was called into the ballpark early, went to see Al Campanis in his office and they said they were sending me back to Spokane. And, uh, I was, I was really upset. I was irate, I guess. you'd say, mm -hmm. And I thought I should be staying there. And it turned out it was better for me actually. But when I went down to the clubhouse to get my stuff, Don was there. And, uh, he said to me, nobody knew I'd been sent down. You know, I'm just in the clubhouse now. And he, came over towards me and he said, hey, do you have any of those sweatshirts? Uh, we used to wear wool sweatshirts. And I had some really good ones that I had gotten in Miami that were like a 50-50 mix or something. And he liked them. <laughs> and he asked me if I had any sweatshirts he could use, you know, or buy from <laughs> me or whatever. And I'm thinking, boy, well, you got to kick a guy when I'm yeah, down. Yeah, kick me when I'm down, right. <laughs> yeah, then down, now you want my sweatshirts? You're a star? <laughs> Um, and, and he didn't know. And, and then I, when I explained it to him, you know, when I told him I've been sent down, he said, you'll be back. You'll be back. He gave me, uh, you know, a pretty good pat on the back. Uh, and you know, that's the way he was. He was a good guy. Yeah. Very good guy. Yeah. He seemed uh, as a fan, he seemed a little under the radar. He wasn't that guy that was out there, you know, maybe I'm remembering wrong, but my memory of Don was just that workhorse, like we talked about earlier, that was just, he was going to pitch every fifth day. He was going to give you seven innings plus good chance. You're going to win the ball game if he was on the mound. Um, but he wasn't out in the, and in today's world, every, you know, social media and everything, every player, you see their whole life now played out in front of us. I didn't see that with Don as much. It seemed like he was just a quiet guy who loved his team and loved his teammates can you tell any, let's, let's tie the two together and then we'll wrap with a little bit on Hank Aaron as we wrap up our time together today. Can you talk about the relationship that you witnessed between Tommy and Don? Well, that was strange. I would not, that was strange because they were always at each other. <laughs> Don, Don was his own guy out there and had his own way of preparing and stuff. And of course, Tommy was uh, always after him about something, you know, we're going out and running or whatever. But uh, when it came time for the game, they were on the same, the same path right there. But they could argue like crazy. And Tommy loved that. He always loved an argument with a player. But uh, I, I, I think that was an important part for both of them. Going to the ballpark and Don doing something to aggravate Don, Tommy <laughs> and Tommy saying something to aggravate Don. But it was beautiful. Okay, and, I got I to gotta ask. 77, 78, and you don't have to tell me if you don't want to, but uh, Sutton and Garvey, the famous fight. Oh, that was just, that was an argument, a famous fight. Um, yeah. It was not much. It was yeah. not as much. It, it just happened to be after batting practice with a ton of writers in the clubhouse in New York City. 
So perfect storm. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. couldn't have been any better. I remember standing there going, what is this? They're arguing <laughs> about something. Can't hear them. And next thing I know, they're right up against each other. So it was, uh, you know, it was just one of those clubhouse things. Mm -hmm. Happens. Happens in families all the time. Yeah. Did it play an impact, you think, on, on the rest of the season? I mean, I know as a fan, we think, well, that was like the, the tipping point that made this such a World Series season. I mean, I'm sure you guys were headed that direction anyway, but do you think it had an impact? Not really. Okay. <laughs> I really yeah. didn't. I mean, to tell you the truth, that kind of stuff uh, never bothered me, never did anything. Uh, um, as long as when we went out to play a ball game, uh, that everybody was kind of, as Tommy would say, pulling on the same end of the rope that we're <laughs> going to win the ball game. And that was the yeah. important part. Yeah. Excellent. So I did a little bit of research today after I heard that Hank Aaron had passed and, um, you know, I got a text from Tim Mead and, you know, we both were in agreement that, gosh, we just, you know, the thing we want that isn't going to happen, wish, wish this would stop. But, you know, we obviously jo joke about how God is putting together quite a Hall of Fame team up there. Um, Aaron hit home runs off of 310 or 312 different pitchers. Who do you think he hit the most off of? And it's not Charlie Huff. I'll tell you that right now. Any, any guess on who he hit the most home runs off of? Don Drysdale. Don Drysdale, 17. got it right there. Number two was Claude Osteen at 14. How many do you think you gave up, Charlie, to Hank Aaron? Well, I gave up one that could have been real famous. I thought I had gotten in a game a couple of days earlier. <laughs> yeah. You gave up number 716, right? Yeah. Yeah, yep. I he gave a, he hit the home run off Al Al Downing right, um, and I got in the game that night, and he grounded out. And hmm. it, it was funny after he hit the home run, everybody went home. Hmm. There was a big celebration and everything, and the fans yeah. started leaving. Atlanta was not a um, big baseball town right then. Right, and uh, like two days later, maybe the last game of the series again, I got in and. And uh, he hit his typical fly ball to left where it's just to the wall and over the fence. How do you hit it just over the fence? What, <laughs> 150 times? What, yeah, exactly. You know? yeah, exactly. But that could have been really famous. I, I blame him. There you go. That's right. So, so yeah, there's that trivia question. Number 716. 716. Charlie Huff. That's pretty awesome. Go ahead, Pete. You look like you're ready to jump in. I, I'm, I was looking something up. I have a Hank Aaron home run ball. Nice. Ooh. Uh, it went between aisle one, 301 and 303 in the left field pavilion. And it went just, it just cleared the fence by a foot <laughs> and went down underneath the, uh, the bleachers. And I was sitting in my normal seat right there in row one. And I ran down the stairs and it went all the way to the back, uh, uh, where you stand, where you, you know, there's that huge long area all the way to the back to the fence and it hit the fence and it bounded back. Now, right behind me, there are three or four other guys chasing me. But I, I went down kind of like a hockey goalie as it was bouncing back off the fence and I corralled it before they jumped on me and I got it. It was number nice. 500, 530. I forget what year it is, but I still have the ticket stub and the ball. I was going to ask if you knew which, which number it was. That's oh, yeah. awesome. You beat me to it. I love that. Um, and, and to me, guys, and I, I don't know yeah. if you'll agree or not, but to me, he's the legitimate Major League Baseball home run king of all time. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't disagree with that. And that's not a knock on Barry Bonds and we can go there at another. Yes, it discussion. Is. Well, it is. Yeah, yeah it, it is. is. But I mean, you know, I mean, yeah. Okay. Fair, fair enough. But yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, certainly 
you know, it was the day after my 10th birthday that he hit that 715. I came home from Little League practice and was sitting with my older brother watching the game and my dad. And, you know, I, I reckon it because I remember seeing on, you know, the end of the previous season that he got to 714. So, you know, it was pretty cool to see him do that. And, um, and the influence, I'll never, never forget Vin Scully's call of that. And, you know, the, the, the history of, you know, a black man doing this in, in the South and, and the celebration and so forth, just fantastic. It's, it's impossible to have a conversation with you three and not, and, and Pete mentioned Vinny a moment ago, and we're not honoring Vinny today. And hopefully it's a long time before we're honoring Vinny for the reason that we're honoring Hank and Don and, and Tommy. But can we wrap a little bit with a little bit about Vin Scully before we go? Just maybe the, uh, one of my favorite statistics that isn't a statistic that the three of you would know is that in 1927, Vin Scully was born, Tommy Lasorda was born, and my dad was born. And those are three men who influenced me greatly in my life. My dad's still alive to this day. 94th birthday is next Thursday. Um, and I'm going to have him on this podcast on his birthday. We're going to celebrate his life next week. Talk about that relationship that you saw between Tommy and Vinny. Nobody better to ask than Vinny, but we couldn't get him today for obvious reasons. But uh, Fred, let's go to you first. You worked very closely with both men behind the scenes as well. Well, when I, uh, Vinny and Tommy, of course, uh, had a lifelong, wonderful relationship because of their respect for one another. But when I think of Vinny now, and we've lost so many great people and great players and Hall of Fame players. But when you think about that, in almost every case of those players, whether it's Hank Aaron, whether it's Don Sutton, uh, whether it's Tommy, um, quite often you tend to think of Vinny's voice connected because that was the connection. His description of, uh, of them, uh, who they were, what they were all about. I think for those of us who care about the game are embedded in our, in our memories because he has had and has that ability to really bring those people to life. And, uh, and what a wonderful gift uh, that he had and shared so that we all have that. So, Many fans never had the opportunity to meet Hank Aaron, um, but they met him through, through Vinny's voice. And uh, he, um, uh, uh, bless his heart, and with um, uh, Vinny's lo loss, right. um, he has um, made uh, such a great impact uh, on, um, on all of us. And, um, we're just blessed to have had uh, relationships. Uh, those of us had relationships and friendships. But I think anyone who's ever listened to Vinny probably feels as though they have a friendship with Vinny, and that's who he is. You know, I'd listened to Vinny growing up, and I, I went into broadcast journalism because I wanted to replace Vinny, and I'm just th thanking God every day that I didn't stay with it because I'd still be waiting, or at least up until 2016. But I'd listen to games and people say, what's the score? And I, I would say, I don't know, not because I didn't know, because Vinny was a master at making sure we all knew, but I wasn't listening for the score as much. I'm a Dodger fan. Don't get me wrong. I was always rooting for Charlie and his mates to win, but I just listened to Vinny because it was Vinny. You know, you've all heard the video of him talking the grocery list and 
reading the phone book and things, and we would listen for hours to that. Pete, how did Vinny influence and how does he still as this day as one of the known broadcasters in Southern California as you are influence what, you? What you spoke of there about waiting for Vinny is, is waiting for Vinny and waiting for Chick and waiting for Bob Miller Dick and Enberg. waiting for Tom Kelly and Dick Enberg trying to get into this business in this town. And I will now quote Tommy Lasorda <laughs> because I used that quote when I got the job doing USC football and basketball back in 1989 uh, from Tom Kelly, who had been doing it basically since 1961. Mm -hmm. These jobs don't come up all the time. Right. And they asked Tommy when he replaced Walt Alston, somebody asked him, how does it feel to replace a legend like the Hall of Famer Walt Alston? He said, I feel sorry for the poor son of a bitch that's got to replace me. <laughs> there you go. And I, I used that line. Somebody asked me, uh, a while back and I said so someday another 10 years from now whatever it is uh, those guys you know we we get to live in Los Angeles and grow up listening to those guys and then you want to be a broadcaster hmm. you you've certainly got some yeah. uh, great people to learn from and and I'll throw another little tiny Vinny tidbit in here I've talked to him a few times in the last well let's recently um, and he's only got one thing in his life that he would like to still see in relation to baseball, and that's getting Gil Hodges into the Baseball Hall of Fame. And there has been some movement on that, and in the next week or so when they make those announcements, uh, perhaps uh, um, uh, with some prodding, uh, hmm. that, that will finally come to fruition. I'm afraid that if it doesn't this time, it may never happen. Hmm. Well, we'll ask our good friend Tim. So we'll know next week. I think it's Tuesday. Charlie, I'm curious. Last question. I mean, we could go on and on and I'm looking at the clock and, you know, I've got as much time as you guys do right now, but uh, as a player, you're not hearing, I mean, I guess you are. I know that, you know, who was it that told the story, the infamous story, I think it was Joe Torrey struck out and walking back to the dugout could hear Vin Scully announcing that Joe Torrey just struck out and he goes, the strikeout didn't hurt, strikeout didn't hurt as bad because I got to hear Vinny call it. Because in that day, for those that aren't familiar, you would just hear the radio call of Vince Scully. I'd go to the game and listen to the radio call and watch, hear Vinny calling it. As players on the field, I know you guys all have these tremendously fond memories and relationship with, with Vinny. Talk about as a player what he has meant to you as a friend and just as a player hearing him call games from down in the dugout or out in the bullpen. Well, you could hear. I mean, we yeah. had a, we always had a radio in the bullpen. Yeah. So I mean that, rather than just maybe sitting there and watching the game, uh, we had that radio in the bullpen. Uh, if you guys would remember, uh, uh, Jim Brewer. Oh yeah, lefty. Great left-handed relief pitcher, one of my favorite <laughs> people ever. He always brought this radio out there, and we'd sit there during the game and listen to Vinny. And of course, you could hear him in the stands too. Right. Uh, yeah, he was uh, exactly what he is—a you know, a Hall of Fame announcer. Uh, he made the game comfortable. Uh, Pete mentioned Chick Hearn. I mean, I didn't remember—I know the other guys, but I didn't remember him as much. But listening to basketball, uh, it felt like you could see it. Listening to the radio, well, the same thing with Vinny. Uh, he was that good and just, and just as nice a person. Yeah, absolutely. Well, gentlemen, I could go on and on, and I'm sure people watching and listening today could as well. Final word, let me just go around the horn here to use a baseball term. 
Pete, tell me what you're working on now. What's exciting for you? What, anything you'd like to promote? Anything at all. And I'm going to ask Fred and then uh, wrap with Charlie on that as well. I am just finishing editing uh, my book about my career up to this point and with a heavy emphasis, obviously, on USC. Um, so someday that'll come out. <laughs> if anybody's a publisher and wants to uh, publish my book, uh, please get, get in touch with me. Well, let's get you back on here soon and we'll do a one-on-one -on, -one on the podcast as well. I know we've been talking about it for a while. A lot, lot of fun stories for sure. And uh, so that's what's going on other than uh, trying to trying to stay in shape and stay out of trouble. Excellent. Thank you, Pete. Thanks for being with us today. Fred, I know you're massive with City of Hope. Let's talk about that in your book or anything you'd like to talk about as we wrap up. Well, that's uh, my uh, primary uh, objective and goal is to do all that I can for City of Hope and the book um, Extra Innings, Fred Clare's Journey to City Hope and Final World Championship Team. All the net proceeds go to City of Hope. And um, Charlie um, has been with us for um, our celebrity golf tournaments where we have been fortunate to, um, to raise funds for City of Hope. So that's really what um, drives me, having that opportunity to be a patient speaker for City of Hope and doing all that I can at a time when there's such a a great need in all of our wonderful medical centers with all the challenges that they have. So to be able to um, play a role there and do what I can to help City Hope uh, is, uh, is very important to me. Excellent. Thank you, Fred. And I got your book and I've read it and I've shared it with others and uh, it's had an impact on me and it's impacting others too and, and your life and your story. So thank you for what you're doing um, away from baseball and with City Hope as well. So really, really appreciate that. My good friend, Charlie Huff, I've been fortunate to know you well since 2006, consider you one of my closest friends and, and uh, someone I, I idolized as a child, as a pitcher, and uh, even more so as a human being now. What are you working on? What would you like to promote as we wrap up here today? Well, another, another Dodger championship. There you go. You know, being a part of the, the minor league organization, which I think we are getting close to or right now as good as we were in the 60s with developing players uh, and my job is to be a part of developing uh, the next uh, Sandy Koufax, if we mm. can find one or, or Clayton Kershaw, you know, it's a, it's a never ending battle to develop talent. And it is a wonderful thing for me anyway, to be a small part of it. Excellent. Little trivia question that many people do know, but many don't is that when Tommy was sent down a well-known guy that we know now by the name of Sandy Koufax was called up. So I know Tommy takes a little credit. Tommy says he probably would have had a better career than Sandy. I've heard him <laughs> say it, but yeah. Well, guys, I know we had to, Pete had to step off, but uh, Pete Arbogast, Charlie Huff, Fred Claire, thank you all so much for, for being with us today. I know that uh, we could, in, in paying tribute to Hank Aaron, Don Sutton, and especially to, to Tommy Lasorda, we could go on several more hours and there's a lot more people that could join us as well. But uh, Really appreciate the three of you taking the time today and uh, look forward to seeing each of you again and, and Pete to getting you on, on the podcast here. These two gentlemen have been on and I'm excited to get some one-on-one -on -one with you as soon as well. So thanks again, guys. Good to see you guys. God bless you guys and have a great weekend. Been fun. Been fun. Enjoyed it. Thanks yeah. everyone. Appreciate it. All right.